Thank you, Brian. Do keep that passage open um, this morning. Um, I'm going to just uh, pray for one moment, and then we'll begin, God's to hear uh, the sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On Thursday coming, uh, the 14th uh, of June, it will be one year uh, since the Grenfell uh, Tower Fire in London, uh, when 72 people uh, sadly lost their lives. The tragedy sent shockwaves uh, around the nation, around the world. Uh, This was not a developing nation. Uh, This was London. Uh, I remember putting on the news and watching in disbelief um, as I saw the flames on the burning building. I'm sure it was something like that for you. And there's an inquiry going on at present. Uh, There's been much criticism of uh, an inadequate response uh, in the days uh, after the disaster from the Kensington and Chelsea Council. Criticism of the failure to react fast enough to such a major incident. Criticism uh, when when disaster came, they they, they simply didn't respond as they should have. Um, uh, Criticism that they they failed to provide replacement accommodation in any sort of reasonable time scale. But of course, um, much has happened uh, since the tragedy by way of response in other ways. Uh, Cladding has been removed from similar buildings up and down the land. Fire safety procedures have been upgraded and fire doors have been replaced and and the the, the stay put policy uh, for those inside a flat in the event of a fire elsewhere in the building has been scrapped by and large. On Wednesday afternoon this week there was another fire uh, in, in the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Knightsbridge in London just across the road from Harrods. And this time, uh, the, the, the hotel uh, staff and uh, the, uh, those involved were, were, were roundly praised for, for the speedy response in getting everyone out to safety. As we've been making our way through Mark, we, we've noticed, haven't we, that Jesus has been getting to feel the pressure of uh, things going on around him. He's being pressurised and then he's being rejected and he's being rejected by family last week and he's been rejected by top religious types sent down from Jerusalem to, to, to see what's going on with a, with a new policy that he's, he, he's demonic. That's how he does these things. That's what they said. Does Jesus bow to the pressure and leave town? Does he go quietly off into the night some, some evening when no one notices? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Jesus is a leader and Jesus responds. And his response this morning, the response of Jesus, is two sets of four. That's how he responds. Four parables and then four miracles. Words first, then then deed. That's, That's what he does. He responds with four parables and four miracles. And his first response is this parable. This first parable. And for the first time... Uh, Mark gives us more than to go on than, than just a, a few sayings of Jesus. For the first time we have a whole section of Jesus' teaching to, to look at, to consider. And it comes as a parable. The parable of the sewer. It's famous, isn't it? But, but as, as is often the case, these things are somewhat badly named. Because it's not really... Um, the, re, the, the main teaching point isn't really about the sewer. As we'll see. Parables, of course, are stories from everyday life in, in farming or, or housekeeping or fishing, uh, the world that, that Jesus lives in. 
the one that he's born into. Simple stories that, that anyone can hear and get a grasp of the, of the words and, and the meaning of the words. But there's more to it than that as they're, they're used uh, to explain something else in, in parallel. Something not so simple. Something even hidden. Uh, there, there are one or two in the Old Testament, if you think back uh, of, the, of the story uh, that Nathan uses to, uh, to, 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 to rebuke David after his sin, um, after his murderous uh, adultery in Second Samuel. The story of the rich man and the poor man. And, but it's not automatic that you get the parallel. David didn't get the parallel right away, did he? We can tell that from his response and Nathan says, you're the man, you're the man. Parables are different from allegories. And an allegory is, is, a, is a story where each and, and every detail has meaning. Like Pilgrim's Progress. You know, that's an example of an allegory. Where each and every detail has meaning. But in parables, not every detail has meaning. Indeed, to try and force meaning onto each and every part or, or person or character or, or theme uh, can, can produce uh, strange, even, even false teaching if you try to do that. Parables are, are, are real life stories of which one or, or, or possibly a few basic truths uh, about, or can be drawn about a parallel concept. So keep that in mind uh, over the next few weeks. In Jesus' parable here, he deals with something in parallel that is much more complex than the story itself. And that's the kingdom of God. In fact, in all of his parables, this is, this is the most common subject, the kingdom of God. God's righteous rule over his people that Jesus says he is, he's ushering in. It's beginning. And verse 11 makes that clear, doesn't it? The secrets of the kingdom of God are the parallel here. The nature of God's righteous rule over individuals is in some way being explained here. And clearly this is a, this is a vital concept. Look at verse 13. It seems to suggest that, that this unlocks the other parables. This parable is like the, the key to the others is the way it's, 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 the way it's put you, you miss this then you, you don't understand any of them we find out in other passages that, that this, this uh, parables are Jesus preferred way to teach the crowds this is how he does it he teaches the crowds through parables but, but do notice that he doesn't explain them to the crowds he doesn't give them the parallel he just tells the parable. Verse 11 tells us that, that it's just to the, to, the, to the disciples and to those who follow him closely that the inside information is given. You see that? The inside information on, on, on meaning. But, but, but why, not, why not speak to everyone plainly? <laughs> why, 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 why use unexplained parables, Jesus? Surely it would be, would be better to have all the information. Jesus uh, explains his reasoning in a sort of private Q&A when he's asked about these stories. He spells it out for the disciples and the other close followers. There, there's, a, there's an outside view 
to a parable. And there's an inside view. That's what he tells them. Those inside the kingdom have it revealed to them. And those outside are left with an unexplained story. Insiders get mysteries revealed. Outsiders get parables. It's like looking at a stained glass window in a cathedral from outside. And seeing something dull and lifeless. And then you go inside and you look out and you see something, something much more uh, inspiring and different and, and meaningful. Verse 12 is a strange verse. I think you would agree with that. It's difficult. <laughs> so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear but not understand. Unless they should turn and be forgiven. You say why doesn't he want them to be forgiven? Why doesn't he reveal it to them, the crowds, so that they all will turn in repentance and be forgiven? Doesn't he want them to believe? Well, he does. He certainly does. Don't don't think of this as a definitive position, but as a a warning. Like, Like the unpardonable sin last week. It's not an absolute position that you have to stay in. It's, it's a warning. It's a warning about your present state to these people he's speaking to. Which of course he can see. He, he knows their present state. He, he's Jesus, remember? He, he can see deep. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. This is where this little section in verse 12 comes from. Verses 9 and 10. He's driving home a point about hard-heartedness. Because Israel in Isaiah chapter 6 were by all accounts hard-hearted. That's what they were. And this is what Jesus sees in the people that he's speaking to. He's warning them not to persist in such a state. Don't be under any illusions, he's saying to them. You're responsible for your response here. You need to be open enough to listen to Jesus, not just to hear him. Because while they remain in unbelief, there is no possibility of salvation. This is not really the parable of the sower, as I said, but better, the parable of the soils. It's actually about the condition of the soil. It's more about the ground than it is about the sower. And hard soil responds badly, softer soil responds better, and soft soil responds well. Hard soil responds badly, softer soil responds better, and soft soil responds well. You see, those outside, to use Jesus' way of talking about it, are not denied the possibility of belief. They're not denied the possibility of being inside the kingdom, but they are if they remain in unbelief. You see, there's a biblical principle here. And it's that if you are faithful in small things, you get more things to be responsible for. Like the parable of the talents in Luke 19. Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Luke 16 verse 10 shows the the reason and practice. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
You see, it's like, a, it's like a Romans 1 rejection of the obviousness inside all of us that there is a creator. We talked about it this morning. You know, as you look in the world outside you, as you see the sky and the stars, it's obvious, Romans 1 says, that there's a creator. But if you mistreat the little revelation or the parable, if you mistreat the parable, the little revelation, you don't get any more. And you won't get any more revelation or evidence whilst in that position. You only get as far as an unexplained story. A story that will cause the earnest to, to sit up and listen and seek. But the, but the disbelieving, well, it means nothing to them. Listen to the warning. Open up. Listen carefully. Uh, he, he wants them to turn and be forgiven. Don't, don't do this as Jesus speaks. As God's word of revelation is declared. In a small way. In Jesus' parables there, there's often this confounding part. A sort of twist, a sort of feature that, that knocks hearers off their balance. And this is, one, this is one of the functions of it. This is one of the reasons for, for, for parables. A kind of think again moment. But in this moment... A seeker, well, well, he or she wants more. But a hard-hearted, self-confident person rejects. Parables are, are polarizing for that reason. Parables to some are a warning. And, 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 and many choose to ignore the warning. But to others they're a revelation. They're a revelation of God. A revelation of ourselves. A revelation of the way back to God. A revelation that teaches us. And continues to teach us. I was in, in London last weekend. At a conference uh, with a friend of mine called Paul. And uh, we, we stayed at Friday night in a, in a hotel. At 6am. The fire alarm went off throughout the building. We quickly dressed and made our way um, off down the corridor. And as we did that, the man from the room next door shot out past us and towards the stairs. I began to think in my half-awake state that, that nobody, nobody ignores a fire alarm in, after Grenfell. Especially not in London. <laughs> the more flights of stairs I got down, the more I began to, to see smoke. It got a little bit thicker. Uh, it, but it wasn't a concerning smell. It, it was a quite familiar one. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was like burning food. And when I got down to the same level as the restaurant, I was told that it was just a microwave fire that had uh, that that, that got under control. It was no big deal. So we began to climb the stairs again, quite annoyed that our night's sleep had been interrupted at 6am. And you know, we were both fathers, so we knew about being interrupted. <laughs> But on the way back, we met people who had just decided to peer out into the corridor and not bother leaving their rooms. And you know what? I was struck by that. I couldn't believe that. Some people in London, in a high rise, don't listen to fire alarms. Some listen. But some people persist in disbelief, despite the audible warnings. As we get into the heart of this story now, do notice 
The second point, the four responses of, of hearers. The parable is often used, this parable has often been used down the years as, a, as an evangelistic text and you can see why. You can see why it's, 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 it's a gospel message to use that term. It's, it's the story of the gospel. Uh, it's, it's, it's the kingdom of God explained. It's, it's about listening to the word. God revealing himself in it and responding to it well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, we are blessed today, you know, because even unbelievers today are blessed in this story because we get more to go on than the crowds. We get the explanation even if we don't believe. But of course we still have to respond and there are a number of possible ways to respond. The sower, of course, is primarily Jesus, but in a secondary sense, he's the faithful preacher of the gospel. The preacher spreads the seed and hopes to receive a return. Like a farmer in his field, as he he knows that every single seed will not produce what he hopes for, but, but, but he hopes for much and he prays for much. Do notice that everyone hears. Everyone gets to hear the message. Everyone... Even when there's no return uh, from the ground, it still receives the seed of the gospel. And as Jesus explains, the sower sows the word. There's only one message. It's the word. One word, one gospel, one way. There are two possible outcomes. It's uh, saved or lost. It's heaven or hell. It's rescue or fire. Three enemies... Against the sewer, against indeed the listener, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And four possible responses, as we'll now see. One message, two outcomes, three enemies, and four possible responses. Insiders respond well, outsiders do not. Insiders who used to be outsiders respond well. To the message. And the twist in this parable, right, the unbalancing point, the one that knocks you off your perch, okay, is that appearances can be deceptive. You see, Jesus' opponents, well, they could write the book on appearances, you know? They're all about appearances. They built the whole system of religion on appearances. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. What matters is the heart. And it's like Brexit. You can either have hard or you can have soft. Response one is a hard heart. This is when the birds eat the seed before it ever gets to your soil. The devil steals it. Jesus explains it like that. Before it even gets to germinate. This is early rejection. Someone hears the gospel but goes in one ear and out the other. Uh, It doesn't impact them in any meaningful way. Uh, The devil is the enemy here. He's to blame but not entirely. He never is. We are still entirely responsible. What is it that makes a human heart hard like this? Like a pathway? Like the road? Well there can only be one answer. Isn't that right? It's sin. Sin hardens the heart. And the heart that is hardened sins even more. Response number two is a shallow heart. 
This is when the, the seed falls on rocky ground. It shoots up but doesn't have enough soil to go down deep. It's superficial. This speaks of someone who hears God's word and responds immediately. Who accepts the truth of what he or she hears and says yes and says all the right words. But, but it doesn't go deep enough into the heart. Who maybe seems to be a believer. Maybe someone who makes a profession of faith. They're joyful in their initial response. But then, but then at some point difficulty arrives. Maybe a, a loss of a job. Maybe a fallout with other Christians. Maybe a misunderstanding. Maybe, maybe, maybe sickness. And the potential for fruit. The potential for, for, for the change in the person's life to show itself in these circumstances. Doesn't result in any. And just as suddenly as they once seemed to embrace the faith, they, they fall away because sadly they were really never born again. Verse 17, they have no root in themselves. The enemy here is, is the flesh. I think you could say that. It's got in the way of full commitment. The flesh says, you know, trials shouldn't come to me. I'm entitled to better, maybe. I've, why is this happening to me? I thought if I became a Christian, this would be all right. And, and even though there was some response, better than the hard heart, some change even, the heart was not changed. Initial superficial acceptance falls away sadly. The third response is the distracted heart. In the third possible response people receive the word better than the first two. But, but eventually get distracted. They lose their focus. It's partial commitment. It involves someone who, who seems to start well. But, but takes their eye off the Lord and, and the world around them. Not negatively with trials. But positively, with distractions, takes their eyes away. And their heart. Riches distract, or maybe materialism distracts. or I mean, this is the story of our age, isn't it? Distractions are everywhere. Maybe the notifications on your phone. Maybe what it says on the sides of buses distract you. The advertisements, what's going on on the television. These opposite worldviews sort of squeeze out these early shoots. The gospel gets choked. That's the way it's put, isn't it? Other things take precedence at this early stage, which is so important. And the enemy here is the world, isn't it? But we're still responsible for our response. Yes, there are shoots and they do grow up, but sadly produce no fruit. And since by their fruit you shall know them, no fruit means no salvation. Notice we're not after shoot or plant. The mark of success is not shoot or even root, but fruit. Isn't that right? The mark of success is not shoot or root, but fruit. And this leads us, of course, to the final response, the the. the Lastly here, the the response of the Christian. The open heart. uh, Two improving responses, but sadly, sadly still lost. And the final response is from the true believer. 
A response that results in gospel fruit. The mark of the Christian. All the other three speak of the unregenerate. Those who, who have not believed. In their heart. Only this response is from a soft heart that's been changed. A life that's been impacted by the gospel. A heart open to God and, and responsive to, to his word. A life that God has been at work in. You know? Yes, God's spirit is at work in all of this. But, but, but you know, there's no room for a sort of hyper-sovereignty view of salvation here. If I'm going to be saved, I'll be saved. You know, it's all about God. God has to make my heart soft by the Holy Spirit, says that in the Bible. So we'll wait on that. But that's not how Jesus presents this, is it? <laughs> he doesn't do that. <laughs> Yes, God works by his Holy Spirit in this, but you have to believe. That's that's what Jesus is saying. You have to respond. And you're responsible for your actions. And you you have to respond in one of these four ways. In fact, you will respond in one of these four ways. There's no other option. There's no other option. And the question is, which soil have I in my heart as the word of God goes forth today? And you get the inside information. Many did not. What are you going to do with it? Will you see your need, your great need of a changed life and heart? Will you hear the word being freely preached to all? Will you, will you see your sin as something that's vile before God? Vile in God's eyes, abhorrent to his all hearing ears? Will you respond and turn and be forgiven to use Jesus' words in verse 12? Turn from your old life and accept the claims of Christ. Ask him to forgive you and ask for mercy. Desire that inward change that that only he can bring. uh, Transforming a deep level in your heart at the core of who you are. And then seek to live with a new purpose for a new Lord or will you just reject him notice that it's not how you start that matters is it it's how you continue it's how you continue on one of the issues with the shallow hearted person was that they endure for a while for a while Luke's account of the same uh, parable says this. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience or perseverance. You could write that. It's the same word. It's not about shoots and roots. It's about fruit. It's not about appearances. That's That's the crux of it, isn't it? That's the knock you off your perch. It's not about what looks. It's about what is. It's about reality. You, you, you could have said some sort, some form of words in a sinner's prayer, and you may neither have meant it or said it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not about that. As far as the gospel is concerned, it's the heart of the matter, which is the matter of the heart. That's what it is. That's a set up and notice point of this parable. It's wise to be sure, isn't it? Now, 
John Calvin says, you, don't, you give the benefit of the doubt in the gathered church. In other words, we're not going around looking to see who we think are unconverted in our number. That's not the point. No, we, we give the benefit of the doubt. But the, and so does the writer to the Hebrews. Listen to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. That's Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters. That's assuming the best. But beware of the possibility of the worst, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. It requires all of us, doesn't it, to to examine our hearts today. Now that's not said to cause genuine Christians to wobble, not at all. But best to be sure. Being sure means we don't look at the appearances. Being sure means that we look at the heart of ourselves. Being sure means that we look for evidence of God at work. Inside, showing itself on the outside. But, of course, this is not just a gospel message. A message on how to enter the kingdom. The Bible doesn't have one-track messages. It speaks to all of us. Parables are a judgment, a warning to to, to those on the outside. And also a teaching to the faithful, to those on the inside. So, So what does it teach us, you're saying? What does it teach us then? The faithful. Verse 13, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Is that not a hint? (laughs) That there may be those on the inside that may have hard hearts on occasions? That's what I think that is. These four responses actually work the same for all of us. You realise that? When God's word is heard, there, there are four responses and only four responses... That we can give. When you're listening to a preacher. When you're discussing things at home grip. When you're sitting at home. You know when you have your Bible open. And you're seeking to understand. And and something sticks out at you. and, And you feel God speaking to you. Through his word. A command. A principle. An issue that that, that you need to think about. Maybe some sin in your heart. And you can respond with a hard heart. Can't you? You hear the call to change your behaviour and you say, not for me, straight off. No, you don't want to give up that particular thing that God's pointed out in his word. The devil is still your enemy here, by the way. But you guessed it, we're responsible. And response one is a particularly dangerous position. Because what does it say? What does it say? Response two is a, is a shallow heart. You, you, you agree to respond to what God has, has sort of um, moved you uh, to, to but in his word. Uh, he's nudged you because of something and, and you, 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 he's placed it on your heart. And, and you think about it, but you never get around to it. And the flesh is weak here. That's your enemy. Uh, maybe you forget. Maybe you get lazy. Some of us get lazy, you know. Maybe you get bogged down with the trials of life and don't get to res- ever get round to responding. Thirdly, there's the distracted heart, isn't it? Again, you're doing better here. We're doing better here. We start well. 
We honestly intend to strive with God's help to, to, to do that thing that, he, that he's shown us. To change by his grace. But, they distract, but the attractions of this world get in the way. And there's no gospel fruit. That, that, that's the way it's put. Distractions can be many, can't they? I mean, we could, we could hear God's call to spend more time involved with the church, but get distracted by things. I don't know, a hobby or something. I don't know what it could be. Watching television. I don't know. There's many things. We, we could feel God's call to, 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 to Bible college or full-time service, but, but get distracted by a different path laid out before us. I don't know. We could be distracted by friends or ambition or, or even a love interest. I don't know. Well, many things we could be distracted by. The world and the value system of the world is our enemy here, isn't it? Those oh-so-easily accepted views that we get drip-fed by the media and the soaps. But again, it's still our fault. We're responsible. Focus is what we need. Focus. If we're not to be distracted out of seeing growth in our lives and the lives of others. But again, the best response, isn't it, is an open heart. If we have an open heart, a soft heart, that's the environment where God's work, God works. And he's the Lord of the harvest. He works in soft-hearted people and produces fruit for his glory. You see, gospel fruit is not just seeing others converted. Although that is a wonderful gospel fruit. Okay, That's a great gospel fruit. Gospel fruit can be spreading the seed despite the response, even if no one comes to faith. We're all sowers, and far less of us are reapers. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase, Paul said. It's all glory to him. But, but fruit can also be leading others another step towards him. Fruit is also our own growth. In, in knowledge and love for Christ. Verse 8 talks about growing up and increasing. Godly responses in difficult circumstances are also gospel fruit. That, that's, that's clear here. When trials come. He's not here so I think I can talk about David here. What a testimony. Huh? Of how to conduct yourself in a trial. Fruit is responding well in a trial. And fruit is also saying no to a distraction which could just so easily take your mind and focus away from God and his word. Yes, the Holy Spirit is needed to respond. Yes, this is God working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Absolutely. <laughs> but, and yes, God works through his word Without that, we're all finished. It's a powerful word. But please see our response here as a mark of our responsibility. If it's for you, it'll not go by you. I've heard people say that. I don't think that's biblical. You know that one? 
sort of an automatic pilot in the Christian life. No. No, it's listening, heart impact and focus before there's any growth and fruit. It's intentional, very intentional. Is, is our soil good soil this morning? Does it facilitate growth? Does it allow for increase? Does it yield fruit in season? Fruit that is not just salvation but growth in our lives and in the lives of others. You see the point this morning? It's a heart issue. It's not it's deep this morning. It's not it's not um, it's not what appears. It's what is. This requires honest self reflection before a holy God who knows and sees all things. How's your heart today? Let's pray as the musicians come forward.